Um, I just love the way that God orchestrates things. Back in the summer when Lee and I were doing the DNA of Freedom Point, we took one night, we talked about just building a prophetic community. And about three weeks ago, the Lord just kind of began to highlight that to me again, like we need to revisit that because there was just so much we had and because of the lack of time, we just couldn't cover it. So that was probably the first week of October, the, the 4th of October. Um, and I just love how God does it because he just is so prophetic because he's God. <laughs> and the Lord gave me a dream two weeks ago today. And I'm still trying to get clarity about the, what the dream means. But I knew the dream was a, a regional dream. And I can't tell the whole dream right now, but I can just tell you a few parts of the dream. Number one, the dream started driving, just me driving down the interstate. And I was at mile marker 275, the Morris exit. And I saw in the sky a fire in the sky. And I knew it was a supernatural fire. It wasn't that trees were on fire. The sky itself was on fire. And the scene changed to a, a meeting with some people. I didn't know who they were, but it was just a time of importation. And the scene changed again, and it changed again. Now, the last part of the dream is, is, was really interesting. It dealt with Kimberly Church of God. Now, I had no ties with that church. and never been there, never preached there. don't have any ties with that church. But I knew the Lord was actually releasing a prophetic word through a dream about this region, okay? So, Friday night, late Friday night into early Sunday morning, I just couldn't sleep. So I just knew I needed to go to my study, kind of just prep sermon-wise, look at my notes, what I had already prepared. And the Lord just kind of laid in my heart to begin to look at the history of our region. I love history. If you know me, I love history. I just, I don't know why, I just do. But I began to get on Google and thank God for Google. And I, and I began to just type out history because I knew one thing that had happened in this region in the late 1900s, I mean the early 1900s, was a lady named Marie Woodworth Edder came to Warrior, Alabama and preached. If you don't know about her, she was one of the real key members of Azusa Street. Just, you can actually Google her name, but just real miracles, healings, prophetic ministry, trance, it was just incredible stuff. But she actually came to Warrior and preached. So I began to research history in Kimberly and I found this article online. It's a three-page document. You can have it. And it tells about the history of the Kimberly Church of God and how it got started. And what I found interesting was on page two. I'm going to read just this beginning part of this to you. The, this is in 1902. The revival meeting that week featured the Hayes family providing music, singing, and anointed preaching. During one of the services, all the people ran out from under the tent because they thought that someone had put fire on top of the tent. They would come to understand that this was a miracle of God, the appearance of the Holy Ghost in the form of fire. Now, I didn't know this. And the dream two weeks ago was fire in the sky, correlated with coming church of God. Now, why don't you say that? Because Monday... I had a prophetic word given to me from a guy named Paul Joe. Paul is a, um, a prophet in North Carolina. I don't know well, but we're in the same network. Paul is very prophetic. And this is really a word to me, but also part of the house. And here's what he says. And I'm not going to read this whole word, but there's parts I want to bring here. Son, you have done well to, tender, to tend the embers of my presence in your region. Revival fires have been stoked for many years. <laughs> 
Now, I just started shouting when I read that. Because here's the guy, eight hours away, and he's talking about revival fires in the region. He says, you're standing in the middle of smoldering embers of past outpouring. These embers have been hidden well by you, my good shepherd. Talks about unity and guarding the faith and how that God's ready to just blow again on these embers in this region to reunite the fire. I think somebody should just shout. <laughs> okay, all right. Thank you, Jesus. I, I am so serious about contending for the move of God in the region. I think it's very, I, I just love how God orchestrates a dream in history with a friend in another state to just confirm what God spoke through a dream. Okay, maybe, maybe I'm just the only one who's excited about this. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just me. But I still say this. I love how God just reaffirmed the fact we need to revisit this sort of becoming a prophetic community. So that's what I want to do today. I want to just revisit this teaching on, on not just being a house who prophesies, but actually becoming a prophetic community that impacts the region. Okay? So I've got a lot of notes, a lot of scripture, and I'm going to just take my time. So if you need to leave, leave, but we're probably going to do some prophetic ministry at the very end, so you might not want to leave because you might miss a good prophetic word for yourself. You ready, Nick? All right, man, let's go, man. Right, so number one, what is a prophetic community? Chris Dowden defines it this way. A prophetic community takes place when a prophet or high-level prophetic anointing is present in a geographical location. In this atmosphere, even non-prophetic people can prophesy. So what's happening? God is bringing in into this region prophetic voices that have been established and are building, that are building a family. And God's releasing a prophetic sound out of the house into the region, okay? The beauty is this. You want to say there that even people who aren't very prophetic can prophesy. You see this in the life of King Saul. After Saul was anointed king, he went down and he met the prophets. And he begins to prophesy with them. What happens? Saul came under an anointing and begins to flow in it. So what God's wanting to build in this house is a prophetic community where people can come in and hear the word of the Lord and release it. All prophecy really is, in essence, is hearing the voice of God but then releasing it. So that is a prophetic community. But here's the other question we need to ask ourselves, is that why do we want to create a prophetic community? Number one, because we want to become a place where the voice of God is stewarded well for the region. Stewardship is vital in the kingdom. And what, and what happens is that you have an outpouring like this in 1902 that really probably died out years later. I think we all would agree with that. Can we, can we not just be honest with ourselves? I don't ever believe God's heart is to have revivals for seasons. Revivals are continue, continue from generation to generation. That's why he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You ever think about why he says that? Because he's the God of generations. He's not a God of this or God of that. He's a God of generations. So revival itself should be an ongoing movement that the next generation picks up. If you think about this, Abraham stewarded a prophetic word he never saw. You'll be the father of many nations. Abraham never saw that. Yet, he became the faithful steward for his sons to walk that word out. 
So part of the thought we have to have here at Freedom Point is, is, there, is that there are things we may be called to steward that we won't ever see. So the thought is this, we have to, God is inviting us to steward a fire, which I thought was really unique. I thought it was this morning. I was thinking about that dream, and I'm driving south, and you see the fire coming out of the south. And you hear what's going on in all these prophets are talking about Birmingham and how Birmingham was known as the place of steel because they actually said that in the early days of the steel mills, because of all the steel they were burning, that there was a glow in Birmingham. It was actually known as Burning Ham. And you just look in the south, and you see the fire coming out. It was a prophetic picture of what God's rebuilding and rekindling in Birmingham is coming our way. And so God's looking for people who can steward the word well for the region so the region can be transformed. Does that make sense? See, I think we think prophecy is just God loves you, has a good plan for your life, and that is true. But there's so much more on God's heart for prophetic ministry than just us giving each other good words. It's actually what is God's word for the, for the region that shapes the region into the heaven on earth. You notice I got the fire behind me today when I preached. <laughs> Number two, about why we need a prophetic community. New Testament prophetic ministry is for restoration. Old Testament prophetic ministry at times had judgment in it. But Malachi says this, He will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. The whole reason we have prophetic ministry is for restoration. The reason we need a prophetic voice in the region is to restore the region back to the original intents of God. That's why God wants everyone in this place to hear his voice. Not just Lee, not just myself, not just Ruth, not just Abner. He wants everyone from the youngest to the oldest to hear his voice. Why? So we can partner with him in seeing the nation restored. Number three, as sons and daughters, we have a covenant right to hear the voice of God. That's three. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You and our sons and daughters of the prophet. If we're sons and daughters of the prophet, then what should we be doing? Hey, we can, we can talk. That's right. I think a lot of the issue we have is that we don't understand the identity we carry in our heart. That we're sons and daughters of the prophet. And we should be able to prophesy. You know, and it ain't going to be weird, prophetic. Yea, saith the Lord. Ha, I felt the wind of God. Now, God wants you to be yourself when you prophesy. However it comes out. That's the beauty of your own unique creation, how God made you, is that it comes through the package in which God made you. So it ain't going to be the church of God. Ha! Can I get a wet? You know what I'm saying? Or what I came out of, the Lord says, the Lord says, the Lord says. And I, was, and I, I kept myself doing it. The Lord says. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying, when you understand it can come in any way through you, if it's from the heart of God, it's powerful. That's why you don't need to measure yourself against anybody else because you're your own unique expression. Number four, probably my favorite point about this whole thought is this, is because of the creative power found in the prophetic. There is 
there is creative power in the prophetic. In Jeremiah 1, Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. How does he do that? How does he do that? He does it by the word the Lord put in his mouth. That's the creative power of prophecy. So when we hear the voice of God in our ear and we begin to declare it, it creates a reality we live and we see from. Why? To break down drug abuse. Have you been seeing the Facebook post about the drug epidemic going down in the region? I think this house has a little bit to do with that. I want, let's just think, let's just be honest with ourselves. What would happen if Levon had never encouraged us as a house to begin to pray against meth or drugs? Would it have went down? Maybe so. Maybe, who knows? But I think that shows how we're partnering with the word of the Lord from heaven to see an epidemic be uh, taken out of the region. That's exciting. I love that I get on Facebook and I see that post about, you know, Coleman County, the biggest strip bus. I know what, man, that's exciting. Why? Because, you know, people are coming together with the voice of the Lord and seeing their region align with heaven. It's beautiful. I love it. Making sense so far? Okay. So let's talk about what prophecy is and what prophecy is used for. Number one, prophecy is two things. It's foretelling and it's foretelling. Foretelling is to know the future. Acts 11. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine over all the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. So prophecy in its purest form is to know the future. But what I've discovered with prophecy is this. What really makes prophecy even more powerful is when I can talk to you about your past and your present with your future. And here's why. Let's say I give Mark a word about his Let's say I give the Mark this word that Mark, I see God taking you to the nations with a, a healing ministry in, Zim, in somewhere in Africa. Mark's like, yeah, whatever, Paul. But then I tell Mark about his past very precisely. And I even tell Mark about his future right now to this day that's very precise. If I can speak to his past and his present with great accuracy, when he hears something that he's not aware of yet, it should give him the faith to embrace it. That's why I don't, it, the rule is not this. You don't have to minister to past and present. But I find when you deal with people, if you can really get in their past and the present, not to expose them, but it builds faith when they hear something that they have not heard yet. Make sense? Like my very first prophetic award was in December 1997. And the first part was, I see God to you in the foreign mission field. I thought, no, thank you. Thank God. I don't want to go with season and get killed. But then he started speaking about things in my past with my family and things in my present at that moment that were so on point, I thought, I might want to give heed to what he just said about the whole foreign admission thing. You know what I'm saying? If, if, he, had just said, if he had just said, I seek out to you overseas, and that was it, I was like, yeah, going home, let's go get some Arby's. Done. But the fact 
that the fact he was so specific in personal family matters, it caused me to give heed to what he was saying. And lo and behold, here we are now, 12 years, what, 18 years later, with 12 trips under the belt. That's why that's important. So we, we can't just always, it, it, it is always foretelling, but I wouldn't encourage you, you know, here's what I'm going to say this. Let me just stop. I've learned to stretch myself, is what I'm saying. As I've been doing prophetic ministry, I've just learned to stretch and to stretch. And so, you know, it's like a, a weight builder. If he wants to get bigger muscles and get stronger, he's got to put on more weight. If he keeps doing 225 on squat, he ain't going to get any stronger. But if he puts on 255 or 275, he might struggle with it, but over time he's going to develop greater muscle and greater strength. And I've learned with prophetic ministry that there's grace to stretch with it. And that's what I've done. That's why, that's why I, I, you know, at times I want to push people in here. Why? I want to get you out of the boat. Why? Because you do hear from God. You do. But sometimes we need to be just nodded. Like a mother hen would kind of ruffle the nest up on the, the, the nest of the birds. You know, makes it uncomfortable. Why? So they can fly. She knows they can fly. But she has to make it uncomfortable so they will learn how to fly. So part of leadership is to make it uncomfortable for you a little bit or push you. Why? Because there's grace on you to do it already. There really is. I mean, Leah, that, she's so prophetic. Mark, he's got a healing gift on his life. There's other of you in here that's got gifts on your life. Sometimes you just need to be pushed a little bit more than where you've been at. Because you're, you know, it's the unknown. Kim, Kim is very prophetic. Melinda's prophetic. You've got to push you a little bit. Ought to push people. Number two, prophecy is foretelling, but it's also foretelling. This is to cause the future. We won't read the whole story because of time state, but in Ezekiel 37, it's the vision of the valley of the dry bones. And the Lord asked the prophet a question. He goes, Can these bones live? He says, Lord, only you know that. And the Lord says, Speak to the bones. What happens? It begins to speak to the bones, and bones come to life. There is a power in prophecy that is creative. I won't tell the story again, but you've heard me tell about my friend Jason Pyrus, who wanted a second child and couldn't have a second child, and he had a low sperm count. So the Lord said, lay hands and declare a word over him, which I did. And he's like, yeah, that ain't God. And it was God. And now he has two more kids. What happened? That word that the Lord said released on him created a deficiency in his body that now gave him two more kids. That's power of prophecy. So, so what is prophecy used for? So we know what it is. Why, why do we prophesy? No, we prophesy for three reasons. Number one, we prophesy for edification. We prophesy for exhortation. And we prophesy for consolation. So edification means to build up. To exhort means to call near. Or to consolation means to cheer up. So here's what prophecy should do. Prophecy, prophecy should always build you up. It should never tear you down. Paul, how do you know if you have a true prophetic word? Two reasons I look for. Does it line up with scripture? And does it build me up? Because if it tears me down in any way, it's not from God. It's not. Paul is very clear. It's for edification, exhortation, and comfort. That's why we stay in that vein. Matter of fact, 
prophets in the Old Covenant moved in those three veins, but they also moved in three other veins as well. They moved in what's known as direction, correction, and conferral. Here's the roof of the house, because mainly discuss this. This is really just a good rule for all of us, is that when we get prophetic words in the house, it stays in edification, exhortation, and comfort. Should direction or correction or conferral ever need to come, they come through Lee. They come through Ruth. They come through Abner. They come through myself. Why? Because it's just safe. It's just safe. Direction. You said that in 1 Samuel 10. This ain't on the screen, but 1 Samuel 10. Samuel tells Saul to wait for him on instructions about offering the sacrifice. You see, correction, when Nathan comes to David about his sin with Bathsheba, and Nathan brings correction. By the way, correction in the Bible is always for redemptive nature. Correction in the kingdom is never about tearing you down. It's always about redemptive nature. I don't whip my son because I'm mad at my son. I whip my son because I want that bad behavior to adjust to good behavior. Matter of fact, when I, when I had to whip, I know what I hate doing, but I'll do it. Like yesterday, he hit me. I lit his back. So that boy, bam! But we make sure that we, when we have a, a thing, we hug each other. And I tell him why I did what I did. I tell him I love him. And he's in, why? Because I want what happened to be redemptive. You know, I wonder how many have in our lives, just let's just use natural parenting for a moment, have been corrected or scolded in an unhealthy way, and instead of it being redemptive, it actually made a bigger wedge in the relationship. Just a thought. Let's just be honest with that one. I know in my life, there were times my dad did things to me, whooped me, I was like, mm-mm. Put fear in my heart. It did. My dad could say my name, I'd begin to cry. He was a coal miner, strong dude. So what happens? Fear came in my heart. So here's what I've learned with my son, or even when I deal with people and I had to maybe bring correction at a level. I want to do it in a way where they're valued and they're honored and they're restored and they're lifted up. Because real prophetic ministry, when there's correction, you don't even know you're being corrected at times. They know how to bring in the they, they, they know how to bring in the oil with it, the salve, the, the healing balm. That's the beauty of correction. Also, correction, it should be done in private times, I think. I don't think we should ever correct people in public unless it's just needed to be done in public. There are times you said that was Paul, was Paul in Scripture. he done that. But I think true correction should be done in private. Why? Because we don't want to humiliate. I remember years ago the Lord said, would you rather have your heart examined in private or exposed in public? I'm like, ooh, I'll take the private part, God. How many of you would rather have your heart examined in private or exposed in public? I think we'd all say in private. So if we don't want to have our hearts exposed in, in public, why would we want to expose Manson's heart in public? Anyway. Um, let me just kind of go on here. I'm kind of just skipping around. Paul encourages the church at Corinth to prophesy. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in the tongue does not speak to man, but to God. For no one understands, but in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But the one who prophesies speaks to man for edification, exhortation, consolation. One who speaks in the tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. 
Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. So here's the question. So where do tongues fit in this whole thing, Paul? Well, I'll tell you. Number one is this. Paul encourages the use of tongues. He does. I wish you all spoke in tongues, but rather yet that you prophesied. I think the thing we have to understand is this, is why is the gift of tongues here today? And I think the day of Pentecost reveals that very clearly. Acts chapter 2, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the, cra- the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So they, they heard Galileans speak in their own language. They were amazed and astonished and saying, Why are not all of those who speak in Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in each in our own language to which we were born? Corinthians and Medes and Iliamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. Some other words there I can't even pronounce. What's the point? Is that these people who were from different nations heard the gospel in their own tongue. To me, that's the real use of the gift of tongues. Yes, it can be used in the house, but I think the real purpose of tongues is when you're overseas in another land. And God gives you the grace of speaking a tongue that that person understands. I'll tell you two stories right quick. I had a friend of mine, he was at the Brownsville Revival years ago, and he went to a Wendy's, and he was drunk in the spirit. He was just drunk. And he walked in, and there was a guy at a cashier who was from a nation in Africa, and he began to speak in tongues, and he actually began to speak in that guy's own language. And he told him, you need to leave now. Your brother is at home about to, to, to uh, have a drug overdose. Dude flips out. He leaves his house, leaves the Wendy's. He drives his house and finds his brother with a syringe about to put in his arm and stops the guy. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. A lady in our network named Charity Cook was in Russia a few years back, and there were no interpreters, and she was praying for people. So Charity began to just pray in tongues, and she felt led. She prayed for like eight or ten people. And they came to her with the interpreter and said, everything you prayed was in perfect Russian. We understood every word you prayed. To me, that is the gift of tongues. Let me reiterate. Is tongues welcome here? Absolutely it is. With an interpretation. Now, I'm saying, obviously, there's praying the Spirit. I don't mean that. But when somebody gives a message, we need an interpretation. Just another thought that I want to say about this as well. I want to encourage people that if, if you're going to pray in tongues, you need to pray that God gives you an interpretation. That's actually biblical. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets. The one who spoke in tongues in Corinth wasn't waiting for somebody else to give the interpretation. The one who spoke in tongues at Corinth gave his own interpretation. Verse 5 in the Bible. Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 14. Therefore, let the one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Now, is there grace to do this? Yes. What happens if I don't give the interpretation? Well, somebody here will stand up and give it. I've done it. Lee's done it. Ruth's done it. But here's what I want to encourage us to do. Just as I was talking about, about stretching us in the prophetic ministry, if you have a tongue, I want to encourage you to give it. 
But I want you also to have the faith to pray about trying to give the interpretation. What happens if it's wrong? We'll fix it. I'm going to say this. If you're going to have faith to give a tongue, please have the faith to give the interpretation with that tongue. I know it's not popular. <laughs> it's okay, you'll get over it. Listen, it's just a biblical concept. It is. Paul, two times in one passage, says, pray that you may interpret. Don't pray that the pastor or the apostle or the bishop or sister so Pray that you may interpret. How many would agree it takes faith to give a tongue? Okay, so if you had the faith to give a tongue, you should have the faith to interpret it then. Should, should you not? Okay, I'm killing somebody on this one. Moving on. Moving on. Let me just cut to the chase. Let me just give you some tools for developing community. By the way, you understand what the word community really means, don't you? It comes from two words, common unity. God wants us to be a people of common unity. That's really where that word comes from, is that we will be a people of common unity in the house. Just like actually, they shared all the things in common. Don't mean we're going to sell our houses and we're going to move in here together. That ain't going to happen. That's a cult. (laughs) But we will be a people of common unity, that we share our lives with one another. We will share our success and our failures. We will share our time, our energy, our finances, our resources together. One, because we're family. Family helps one another out. So let me give you some tools. Number one, first tool, is recognizing that God is always speaking and he speaks in different ways. John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I want to give you five thoughts about how, let me see, one, two, three, I'm going to give you a, B, C, D, E, F, 7. I had to count there for a moment. Let me give you seven ways God can speak. And this is not an exhaustive list. But these are seven of the most common ways God can speak to you regarding prophetic ministry. Number one, and there's spiritual perception. This is, um, this is the realm of knowing. This is that hunch, that gut feeling, that check within your spirit. Most, I would dare say, in my lifetime, the majority of my prophetic ministry comes out of this right here. I just know things. I don't, but, let me be careful. Let me, let me back up. Let me stop. I believe that God will speak to anybody in any number of ways. I also believe that God has a primary way he'd like to speak to people as well. Does that make sense? And what I've determined is that when I read my Bible at home, God speaks to me a whole lot different in that avenue than he does in this avenue of prophetic ministry. Why? I don't know. That's just how he does things. I think a lot of it has to do with God doesn't want you to get in a rut and think it happened this way today so it's going to happen this way tomorrow. Matter of fact, I remember years ago going to a Benny Hinn crusade and Benny was telling a story about uh, this song that these guys were singing in the crusade in the past year. He said, man, the first night they sung a song and they sung it and they sung it and they sung it and the power of God kept falling and kept falling and kept falling and kept falling. So Benny thought, Hey, everyone, last night, let's do it again tonight. So they sent the same song again, and nothing happened. What happened? He was trying to take an event from last night and bring it to today to see if he would get the same result. So I've had to learn in my own walk with God is I can't put God in a box. And I can't expect God to speak to me every way at the same time. Why? Because he want, it's a walk of faith. It really is. 
Now, are there times that God did that? Yeah, there are times, but there's other times that God will speak in the most unusual way. I'm thinking, is that God? I'm just being honest. There are times I say, is that God? Why? Because I want to be faithful with this thing. Spiritual perception. This is, uh, with this one, it's nothing you really see. Again, this is more just, like I said, it's just a knowing. You don't have a picture. You don't have anything. It's just you, something in here has something brewing in it that you need to release. Number two, there's then you have what's known as a pictorial vision. Uh, this is where you get a vision in the mind. It's what's known as a closed vision. You've heard people talk about having open visions and closed visions. A closed vision is one within your mind. It's like when I see angels, a lot of times I see them in my mind. I can't explain that. I just do. I have never actually seen an angel out there. I see them in here, but the reality is just the same as seeing them out there. Because you understand that the spirit realm is more real than the natural realm, and this is the lens of your spirit, your heart, and your mind. What I meditate in my heart projects on my mind. That's why, let's just be honest here, let's use you to the guy. You show me a guy who's always having pornography in his mind or his life, his mind will continually think about pornographic things. What your heart meditates on becomes the images your mind reflects upon. It really is. This is a closed vision. This is why this is what I think James Gall calls them Holy Spirit visual aids. Like I see Mark. And Mark, I see a I see a lung issue. I might see like a lung over Mark's head. Mark, do you have a lung issue? Well, yes, I do, Paul. Oh, there you go. So I'm I'm looking for pictures, or the Lord's showing me pictures. There might be colors, could be numbers. Could be a host of things. Could be money. Could be a, a picture of a family. You know, one of the coolest prophetic words I ever got in my life was in North Carolina a few years back. And it was this, uh, this lady, and um, I saw a picture of an 8 by 10 And it was ripped apart. Like, it was just torn in shreds. And also the picture came back together. And where the lines had been ripped, you couldn't see the, you couldn't see the rips anymore in the picture. And I said, I believe the Lord said there was a ripping apart in your family, but the Lord's going to heal that and you can't see the ripples of it anymore. And she said, that's the word of the Lord. She said, we had went through a traumatic, uh, something happened in the family, I can't remember what it was, but it ripped the family apart. And by God's grace through years, the family was completely restored, that word, that rip was no longer even in the family. You couldn't even see it. That came by just seeing that 8 by 10 photo. I'm just saying, God will speak in such unique ways and use the most unique, common things. He really will. I gave a prophetic word to a guy on time about a lake because of his name. And it was, right, it was just on the money. I can't, I can't explain it. I'm, here's what I'm saying. Just don't limit God. Just go for it. You know, there, there are times I know I have a word from God. I know it's the word of the Lord. I, I can just tell you, I know it's. There's other times I'm not sure. So I'll do this. Hey, so-and-so, I, I believe last week I'm in Aston, and there's this couple there, and I, I kind of know them. And I had this word, and it was like, that's me, that's God, that's me, and I'm, I'm battling. Let's be honest, there's times I battle, even today I still battle. Like, God, is that really you, is that me? About 10 minutes, I'm like, oh God, what do we do? This sucks, God. <laughs> and you know, finally I just said, let's just go for it. Because I've learned in my walk is that when things keep coming again and again and again, I need to just go for it. So here's what I said, I called him up and I said, here's what I believe I've got. I said, if I'm wrong, I apologize. And I would not make it, the Lord says. 
But what happened was, as I was thankful to give that very initial thought, the, the river opened up and then things began to come out and tears began to flow down the face. And you knew it then was the word of the Lord. So even, you know, while God talked about, you know, pushing you guys, Holy Spirit still is pushing me a lot of times. It's the beauty of it. And a lot of that happened last week came out of a vision. Like this right here, just I started seeing things in my mind. I see you doing this. I see this. I see this. I'm like, whoa, that's really the word. You know, just really, was, you could tell you was hitting, a, hitting at home with the word of the Lord. <clears throat> third, third thought. Panoramic vision. This is really cool. I've never have had this happen, but this is a vision in your mind that's like a movie. You know, and I think the best scripture is about Acts 9, when the Lord came to Ananias and said, go here, find this man named Paul. And he went and he found Paul. And he did all that the Lord told him to do. That was a panoramic vision. It's, what it, it's almost what it would look like. It's, like. it's like you are in this vision and you actually begin to see this movie. It's like, it's like you're watching like a Blu-ray disc. Bam, 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 bam. What happens when you release it? You give it. Uh, number four, dreams. Uh, man, I don't have time for this one. Dreams is one of the most powerful prophetic tools you can ever have in your life. Here's the other thing about dreams too. People's like, well, how's it prophetic? Because prophecy keeps. You, you realize because you get a word today doesn't mean you have to give it today. It's true. You know, I remember years ago that when my, the old church I was at, this guy came down from Kentucky, and he was classical Pentecostal man. And he had a word from God, and he began to shake and shake and shake and shake and shake. He's like, I gotta get this word. I gotta get it. I'm like, chill out, dude. If it's really from God, it'll keep. And so even dreams, when you have a dream, it'll keep. I cannot tell you number of times I've had dreams about people. Like, this one dream was so wild and vivid. I remember a friend of mine I had a dream, and in the dream, I gave the person a hug. And when I put my hand on the back, you felt an issue on the spine. You couldn't see, but you could feel it. I remember going to church that Sunday and said, hey, do you have a back problem right up here? And go, yeah, I'm in severe pain. What happens? It's just a prophetic word in the dream. Joseph has four dreams in, his, in Matthew 1 and 2 about encounters with angels, and the angel gave him directions. Marry, marry your wife, go to Egypt, come back from Egypt, go to Galilee. The wise man had, in the, and had a dream with God where God says, don't go back to here. We have to validate and recognize the value of dreams because if you sleep normal, which I do, I try to, eight hours a night, you should dream quite often. I mean, tonight, you spend one third of your life asleep if you sleep eight hours a day. Dreams should be very, a very pivotal point of your life. The challenge of dreams is how to determine if it's literal or if it's symbolic. Which, either way, it's still real. I'm not saying that, but it's like if you have a dream about, let's say that me and Jake go to Milo's, that's my dream, and Jake doesn't come here to go to Milo's, and I get offended that Jake. Maybe it's just something symbolic about what Jake represented in my life, or something about what Milo's could represent. I know it's kind of a, just a really dumb idea, but there are things in your life that really can represent things, like family members or driving or numbers or colors or locations you can go to. So you have to determine, is this a literal dream or is this a prophetic dream that's got some ball behind it? I need to figure out what the dream's saying here. I'm killing you. I, I can just tell I'm killing some of you guys. Fifth way God speaks. He speaks through hearing. 
hearing. This can come from the Holy Spirit, come through an angel, come from the Father. It speaks through hearing. There are times I hear prophetic words, but most times, like I said a while ago, my, my prophetic ministry comes out of just, I know, but I love it when God speaks about hearing, and I actually hear things in my ear. I'm like, ooh, let's go for this one, God. Like, a few weeks back at the healing night, hey, I, somebody here's got a, a left knee issue and a right ear problem, and two, enough, two people walked up and got healed. That was cool actually to hear that. Feelings. This is really vital. Feelings. I feel love. I feel joy. I feel peace. I just have, I can look at people and I can feel emotions. Probably one of the worst ones. I, I, this is what I do hate. I, I'm just being honest. I hate this one. I hate when I meet, I see people, and they're in uh, like death has occurred. Not always, but there are times when I meet people. Like I remember years ago, my first time ever ever, ever happened with the Amsoft Bank, and uh, this lady I went with, her husband had died just unexpectedly, and she walked in. And I could just feel intercession coming up. I began to feel her pain. I could just feel the pain. Even like last week when, when Lee came in about Derek, I could just feel the pain of that moment and like we got to intercede for the family. So I've learned to watch my emotions in ministry. Like, what do you feel when you see people? Joy, peace, sadness, depression, suicide. What happens? The Lord's giving you insight how to minister to that person through your feelings. That's why Hebrews says having your senses exercised to discern good and evil. You know, we have to be careful. Let me just make sure we hit on this as well for a moment. We have to make sure we don't bind to this teaching that says your spirit is good and your flesh is bad. It's not. Paul said, that God, he prayed that God redeem you spirit, soul, and body. God wants to use your body to feel things. Yes, there is that flesh nature, but that's not the same thing as your body. <laughs> and I think people think, well, God can't use this. Yes, he can use it because when he made man, he said, it is good. So God can use my eyes. He will use my ears. He'll use my nose. He used my nose as confirmation to go to Philippines when the embassy was closed in 2010. I began to smell the tropics in my apartment. I said, yep, we got to go. I walked the house for 20 minutes looking for candles, air freshener that was a tropical smell, and it was not one in the house. I thought, that's God. Psalms is taste and see the Lord is good. God wants to use all our senses to reveal his glory and to minister to humanity. Um, let me just give you two more thoughts, and we'll be done, because I'm just, I feel I'm killing this sermon. Number two, this is number good. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I'm going to buy your steak. <laughs> hey, you know, by the way, I was in, I was in this world ago, but I'll do it now. You know, there's times when you hear a song and it becomes prophetic. When we were singing that song, I'm never going back, I looked at Joey and I saw you on the ground, and the Lord said, you're never going back, son. There's a grace and anointing that you'll never go back. I'm like, well, thank you, Lord. I'll take that. So what happens when you give a word like that? You hang on to it. I've learned that prophetic words are really important, and we hang on to them, but when, when, when I'm facing contradiction in my life, that's when I've learned the most to cling to that prophetic word right there. So you're never going back. 
And should you ever feel tempted to go back, you have a word from the Lord that says you're never going back. And you hang on that word because there's great purpose and plans in your life and calling. And there's a healing anointing that the Lord's releasing on you for prophetic ministry as well. I mean, uh, for prophetic evangelism and power evangelism as well. And I just see you walking the streets like a Todd White and releasing glory on people's lives. And then you're going to have a radical encounter with the love of God that's going to sh- break chains off your life. You going to power and love? You are going? Well, if you need to get in, I can get you in. You let me know if you need to get in, I can get you in for free. If you need it. Okay. Number two. This is really vital. Look for treasure within people. Look for treasure within The whole purpose of prophecy is to pull the gold out. It's to pull it. We're never looking for junk. We're looking for treasure. Why? We want to build up. Evocation, exhortation, comfort. What happens if you see junk? Well, that's a good question. You ask the Lord for the wisdom to prophesy to bring them out of that. For example, if I see somebody dealing with pornography, I see the Lord just calling you to a new set of holiness and righteousness, and he's setting you free from just past things in your past. I begin to prophesy the answer and not the problem. I think part of the problem in the church today and even the prophetic movement is we want to prophesy the problem and not the answer. People don't need the problem. They need the answer. Would we agree with that? So when I'm looking at people and I see things that are contrary to Scripture or their life is not lining up with Scripture, Lord, what's the word of the Lord that will help break them out of the cycle they're in to walk in freedom? So again, you know, pornography, I mean, I just see holiness and I see uh, righteousness just being the foundation of your life. Something about doing that can actually break them out of a cycle to actually begin to walk in that. For treasuring people. We always want to, we always want to prophesy the answer to the problem. Um, third thing, we'll go on from this. I think, and this is really vital, guys. This, one, this, is, um, this might be a little bit of a ripple in the house today for some of us, but I'm going to say it anyway. We need healthy prophetic core values. What do you mean by that? Well, how do you view God? Look at eight. So take care how you listen. It's on the screen. Notice that he doesn't say take care what you listen, but by how you listen. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have even what he thinks he has shall be taken away from him. Perception is everything in prophetic ministry. Now, what does this got to do with anything, Paul? Well, we're talking about a community. What's talking about becoming a prophetic house for the region? Here's a thought. If I view God as angry at the world, then I'm going to hear out of that paradigm. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to have judgmental prophetic words. I'm going to look at natural disasters as God's judgment on humanity. Sicknesses like AIDS will be, a, a, will be God's judging people. Uh, I'm looking for what is wrong instead of what is right. I'm going to have a slave walk with God instead of a sonship walk with God. And I'm going to use my Old Testament prophet as my, as my models. Listen, I value the Old Covenant. I do. But I'm doing things now out of a new covenant standard. It's true. Hebrews, we have a much better covenant built on better promises. There's a reason why Paul doesn't talk about judging nations in here. It's not happening. 
Now, I have friends who would disagree with that statement with me. And let me just say this about, about is God judging America? Is God judging the nations? My personal opinion, God is not judging nations. He is not judging America. He is not going to judge America. There will be a day, and we can agree on this, where everyone will receive a judgment done in his body. For the unbeliever, it is the great white throne judgment. Yes, there will be a day of judgment, but my personal core value is that God is good, and God's not judging America. He's not judging the nations. He's not. Now, you might disagree with that, and that's okay. I'm going to have a core value that says God is good. And because God is good, I'm believing the best about people. I'm looking at hope, and I'm looking at redemption in people. I'm, I'm going to extend grace and mercy and forgiveness. I'm going to be looking for treasure in people and not their issues in their life. You know, I, 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 again, I think about this one. I think about like, ISIS and the terrible deeds they have done in the past two years in Iraq and Syria, and the numbers of people that have raped and killed and murdered and beheaded. And yes, they need to be brought to justice. But in the eyes of God, there are still people who need the gospel, and they need to be saved. And I'm sick and tired of hearing my friends in the community of church say, kill them all, God. That's not God's heart, because God should have killed us then too. So Paul, you ain't killed anybody. No, I haven't. I was born in sin, and they were born in sin. So even how we look at, like, here's what I mean when just going about intercession now. It's like when I pray, like, I probably take once a week, and I just, I lay hands, I love that map, I just lay hands on that map, and I pray over that map, and I pray to the nations, and I'm like, Lord, release life, 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 tear down the spirits behind Islam. Because the issue isn't ISIS. The issue is the lie of the demonic power of Islam. But if you don't have a healthy core value, then you're going to look like God kill them, God judge them, God blow them up. Kill them, what? And they're going to go to hell. Does that not concern you as an individual? When you hear people say that about other people that are not saved, that really just gripes me and gets me really upset. How can you tell God to send somebody to hell? I don't know why I got on that, but I feel better saying that. I just do. When I have a healthy core value, I see sickness and death as the, as the enemy, not God. Because just I couldn't give you life and life more abundantly. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I feel that you may have life. How God anointed Jesus and us with the Holy Ghost and the power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. For this reason, the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. So how you hear is crucial to what you release. Because you will either release it with, a, with an angle that's for redemptive nature or, na or an angle that's destructive in nature. 